Hello, I'm Charu Kamaria. I'm a writer, journalist, speaker, and podcaster based in the southeastern United States. And I started this show after many years of working in newsrooms where stories of the day are boiled down to just a few minutes. I want to go more in depth, talk about the things that we all should be noticing and discussing, and help you understand what the story really is. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Story with Charu. My guests today are Chubby Kanakoneri and Olivia Zalecki from North Carolina Asian Americans Together, NCAT. This is an organization based in Raleigh, the capital of North Carolina. And these folks are working a lot um, on the election and issues surrounding the Asian American Pacific Islander community here in North Carolina and across the country. Welcome. Thank you so much for making time to be on the show, guys. Thank you for having us. I know that it's been a minute. It's been hard for us to get organized and the pandemic and just so much going on. So I'm, I'm really glad that we could make this work. Um, we're right now in three different places doing this interview, which is just like such a sign of the times, right? But at least we can still get things done, I feel like, being like this, you know? Yeah. So Chevy, I'm going to start with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you ended up doing this kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my family moved to North Carolina in 1989. Um, my dad's a professor, so I kind of went from the Berkeley environment to oh. Durham, which was um, a huge shift, yeah. uh, both culturally and the sort of demographics of the area. So I think I've always been like very aware of being Asian in the South. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, anyways, I went to law school, I focused on voting rights law, um, and I learned more about language access, um, for the Asian American community, and all that somehow brought me to wanting to volunteer during the 2014 midterms when I noticed this, and, and, you know, the demographics said the population was surging, but as a South Asian who's grown up here, it was exciting to see so many more Indian people around and feel like I wasn't alone. In the yeah, South. yes. Um, and so there was no organization that was really reaching out to Asian Americans to get them to vote. And I was looking at all this data about how we could make such an impact. And that was the first election that was really where we could show our power and, um, uh, at the ballot box, and so somehow I ended up quitting my job and starting this organization oh, wow. uh, four, four years ago, and uh, it's great. I mean, we went from me to, I think we have 15 of us now, including yeah. Olivia. <laughs> yeah, and um, your what kind of professor was your father, out of curiosity? He actually uh, taught Indian language and literature, so he was a Hindi professor, and he makes... Um, documentary films based in India, so he teaches some film courses. Wow, that is so, that's so cool. We, um, I agree, it's been more exciting to see Indians realizing, and I'm saying Indians because I'm Indian and you're Indian. Um, Of course, I mean, you know, at the broader sense, all Asian Americans sort of realizing the power that we really have and influence. Um, So it, it is more exciting to see us sort of flexing that muscle some. Yeah, and I just want to add that, you know, definitely I'm Indian, I've 
really grown up with a lot of culture around me, but the reason that this organization is a pan-Asian organization is that in North Carolina, that's the only way we can really make a difference at the ballot box, yeah. is having this powerful um, voting block. And the term Asian American, it's like reclaiming that term, right? And, and making it ours and something we can build power with rather than something that creates that wedge. Yeah, I gotcha. And um, Olivia, what about you? Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you ended up doing this kind of work. Yeah, definitely. First of all, thank you so much for having us on. My name is Olivia. So I was actually born in China, but adopted into a U.S. family and basically lived my whole life in Charlotte, North Carolina. I went to school at North Carolina State University in Raleigh and majored in political science. And I definitely found that majoring in political science and being in the triangle, which has such an amazing and abundant population, definitely kickstarted my interest in getting a lot more involved in API advocacy, civic engagement, and voting. I definitely think for many people, 2016 was, if anything, maybe a turning point, a wake-up call. I think I definitely fell into that bracket Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. So... While I was in college, I participated in a lot of grassroots API organizing initiatives, working with different student API orgs, doing things like conferences, and trying to really make sure that APIs have their voices heard. I found the work extremely empowering, and in a weird twist of fate, um, when I was in college, I somehow ended up on NCAT's mailing list, I think maybe my junior or senior year. And from then on, when they had a job posting about, oh, we're looking for people to join our youth team, it just felt like the stars were aligned, and I really, really... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and when you say API, Asian Pacific Islander, is that... Yes. Okay, okay. We typically use the term AAPI, so Asian American Pacific Islander, but sometimes it's interchanged with API, too. Okay, I've got you. And I... So, I've got... You were adopted from China by white parents... Yes. Okay. Yeah. That is a whole other. I feel like that I need to interview you separately eventually about that <laughs> because that is, you know, that is that's interesting. I mean that that creates a well. I guess I should ask you: Did it create an identity crisis for you? Yeah, I feel like definitely don't want to speak for um, all adoptees here, but I think it is a pretty common narrative for a lot yeah. of folks who are transracially adopted to have a moment of, oh my gosh, you know, where am I fitting in in this racial um, landscape in the U.S. and with the U.S. being such a melting pot and having all these different cultures too, I feel like it very much adds on to that. So I really do attribute college, working with NCAT, and a lot of my Asian American activism experience um, to really help formulate my sense of belonging and identity in the community. Yeah. So it's definitely a unique experience. Yeah, and I, I do feel like um, uh, adoptive parents are becoming more and more aware when they create a family like that, that, that you know, that let's let's make sure we address this head on. So it's not an issue where we're just very open. And I, I've noticed as time has gone on that there's been a lot more um, things are done by adopted by parents to make sure that their children feel very whole and included. And so that's really great to see. And it's great to see that you um, have been able to find a place to, you know, that's that's awesome because it can it can go the other way. So I'm really proud of you. That's great that you were able to oh, find a place you. and do that. So, That's very kind. <laughs> so tell me, guys, what does what is NCAT's mission and what are you guys doing this year in particular? Yeah, um, so Olivia's part of our youth program, so um, I'll let her speak to that a little bit more sure. first. Yeah, definitely. So with NCAT, my title is currently the Youth Engagement Coordinator, 
And I work broadly with NCAT's youth programs. I think that it's one of the pillars of NCAT that really attracted me to the organization as a whole is that our foundation is really based on a lot of engagement with API youth. We really care about getting to know them as individuals and working with them, giving them the tools that they need to succeed, not just personally, but also learn more about API activism, involvement, learning skills such as phone banking, texting, all of that really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. So in my role, I've had a really tremendous opportunity and privilege to be able to help um, build our internship program up as well as getting to build those one-on-one connections with folks. And what, when you say youth, how, what, what is, what age group do you define that as? Do you think? Yeah, so for NCAT, we primarily use the term youth pretty loosely. I know lots of people think about little kids, but we specifically target high school and college students. Okay, gotcha. And that is going to be really crucial this election year. You know, we've seen young people across the country, um, form these voting drives and these blocks, um, you know, to to sort of get people registered. So what do you think? I mean, is that going to be huge this November? Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. Um, I think that a huge pillar of our youth program has been that personal development, but there's always been that push of, yes, that civic engagement and activism piece that's really important. Um, We are definitely going to be hosting a lot of relational organizing parties and phone banks specifically targeting youth to try to get them involved and really use their peer-to-peer connections to try to outreach to other folks. Yeah, I think actually, you know what, you mentioned that that's how you became familiar with this organization was when they had been reaching out to you. And I think that's actually what happened to me as well. I started getting texts somehow and I was like, wait a minute, who, what, who are these people? And then I looked into it and I was like, oh, this, this would be great. These, I should talk to these people, uh, you know, and find out what they're doing. So, um, I, I actually think that's how I became involved too. And it's, it's just great to see people involved, you know, and using all of that. Um, Chubby, what about you? What do you, what do you see as the role for your organization that you started really, you know, this year and beyond? Um, yeah, so so when we started in 2016, we were very focused on just registering people to vote and doing election protection, um, and so we kind of um, targeted the precincts with the highest number of API voters in the state, um, and that number one precinct happens to be in Morrisville, North Carolina. What? For anyone who knows Indians, that's not too shocking. Wait a minute, wait a minute, back up here. You're saying the highest number of APIs in North Carolina is in Mooresville? The highest number of API voters. So that's Wow. Okay, yeah. I, I that that's that's a little shocking to me. I mean, I've I've been there. It's close to where I live now, so I'm surprised to hear that. Wow. Okay. Well, go on. So you were saying yeah. that? Yeah. Go on. What were you saying? Well, but since then, you know, we're the only Pan Asian statewide organization. Um, that focuses on social justice issues and civic engagement. And so the asks for the community from the community have really broadened our um, the scope of our work. So I was just going to highlight a couple of things that are particularly important in this next month. Sure. Um, so we do voter registration and we help walk people through that. Um, and the deadline is coming up second week of October. Um, also, we, so as I mentioned, I have a legal background, um, and so we do naturalization clinics as well, um, and in case people don't know, the current fee for applying for citizenship is $725, 
And on October 2nd, that fee goes up 83%, making it unaffordable for a lot of people. So we have a network of lawyers and we provide these services completely free. You can be anywhere in the state now that we're doing it all over Zoom. Yeah. Um, So really just wanted to let everyone know that the service is there and we want to help. Um, And then also the census, right? This is the... The deadlines have moved up. This is our last month, and North Carolina hasn't been doing great as far as following up with people on non-response. I think we're the seventh lowest in the country. So, mm. you know, we're really so those text messages you got were probably about one of those issues. Um, yeah, we're yeah. We're definitely trying to reach out to um, you know Asian Americans across the state, um, and then with. You and I being South Asian, I'm also going to highlight that we have a South Asian working group this year, and what's been really exciting about it is that Indians have been, Indian youth have been very involved in our youth programs from the very beginning. It's really inspirational to see, but older folks, my parents' generation, they're a little more hesitant to get involved oh, yeah. in political stuff unless it's Indian politics, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're still kind of living up to that model minority yep. image of, like, yep, absolutely. you don't raise your voice, you, you don't need to be part of the public discourse. Um, yeah. Like, Hassan Minaj talked about, like, the tax of, of living the American dream was you kind of stay quiet, yeah. whatever happens, happens. Um, keep your head down, keep working, absolutely. Exactly. Yes, yeah, that was and the message we got. This year... That is not the case. I mean, the South Asian working group we have is primarily made up of people who are older than me and that are more like my parents' age. And it is unbelievable how passionate they are and how willing they are to put in the work to create change. Um, And so, you know, it's an uphill battle this year, but it feels really, really exciting to see that within my own community. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy to hear you say that. That's awesome. We've got um, some other speakers this season that are talking about sort of the intersection of um, different social justice issues and how they intersect with um, APIs, as you folks are calling them. So we, you know, it's it's fascinating. It is exciting, and I'm I'm really glad to hear that. You, um, both of you, you know, when we talked earlier, we talked about the cycles, the chains, the patterns, the shackles that um, we either carry as a society or as individuals, and the things that need to be broken. You know, the patterns that we need to let go of. So, um, I. I'll start with you, Olivia. Olivia, what are the what are the cycles that you think need to be broken as individuals or in society? Yeah, first of all, thanks for the question. I think that's a really good one and thought provoking. Um, when I was marinating on this a bit, I definitely think that's something I would love to see be broken is debunking the myth of Asian American youth being apolitical or being uninvolved. I think that it's really important because, first of all, by the name, the myth, we know that it is something that is not true at all. And I think Mm -hmm. that on a lot of my groundwork experience, seeing Asian American student organizations working on all these Asian American conferences, you really get to know these people and realize there is so much amazing, incredible work that is going on, grassroots organizing, and that peer-to-peer mentorship of really getting the word out there about certain political issues that people care about that. I know it to be a myth, and I really want to encourage other 
particular Asian American youth to lean into the services that they have at their schools, lean into a lot of different resources that are available nationwide for Asian American youth to learn about political advocacy. I think that's great. What about you, Chubby? Yeah, so I mentioned the um, model minority myth a little bit. Um, Definitely, I think that needs to be debunked and to for us to stop being, like, the the wedge in the racial issues between yes. um, black. Um, but in particular, because I have the election on my mind, I think the idea of Asian Americans voting with their wallets, which is actually not true, and I think there's this idea that the community doesn't care about racial justice issues, which is, again, not true. We had a fantastic um, event last week uh, about anti-blackness in the Asian community and it was clear that people care about this issue there just hasn't been a forum to discuss some of these things before Mm -hmm. and so those are the kinds of spaces that we're trying to create and to help change the narrative I I love it I think it's uh I think it's great and I know that there have been a lot of discussions um, some of the other people that we talked to over this season actually talk about that, that uh, the anti-blackness that we hold as Asians, as Indians, um, you know, the hierarchy of different countries and sort of letting that go in the context of supporting our black brothers and sisters here um, in America, too. Um, I love it. And I, I wanted to end the show today by asking you both, what are you making for dinner? What are you guys having for dinner? My favorite COVID question. Okay, I can go first. Okay. Um, so I have a 10-month-old and a 4-year-old, and so dinner can be challenging. <laughs> um, and I have discovered that if I make an Asian dish with noodles and broccoli and tofu, they will each eat some parts of it. Um, oh, that's and good. Happy. So that's what we're eating tonight. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> I think Chevy and I are both on our Asian food kick. I am planning on doing a garlic tofu, so I'm pretty excited about that, and I'm going to probably start pressing the tofu after this call, to be honest. Oh, okay, so you press your tofu. So where do you buy your tofu, first off? Um, I honestly use whatever brand is in the hair studio. Okay. Not picky at all. I'm using a big plate to press it, so we really have nothing fancy going on. Oh wow! Okay, and you- we're we're very particular. We get it from the Asian store, and we have a certain way of making all our different styles and densities of tofu. That's awesome. I usually, when I cook with tofu, I just get the firm. Sometimes I'll get the um, you know, the more silken if I'm making a salad dressing and I want it to be vegan. But when I'm cooking with regular tofu, I've I never thought about pressing it. I've heard, I've just never had luck. So you're just putting it between two plates and pressing it. Yes, I truly cannot speak to if that's an effective method or not. I gotta say, some water comes out, so maybe it is. That's awesome, and I I applaud you, Chevy, for being able to um, navigate like motherhood. It is, um, you know, it's hard. Those newborn days and both of them, it's uh, it's insanity. I've it's insanity. That's all I can say. Yeah, I know you can relate. Yeah, earlier today when you and I were talking, it was it was literally like getting two kids, um, and actually. We've been doing a really good job, and our school system's been doing great. But it's it's definitely like you know a a new a new world that we are living in. You know, in that way. Yeah. Well, listen, like, I uh, I really appreciate both of you um, making the time to be here today. Thank you so much, and I wish you all the luck with what you f- folks are working on over there. Yeah. Thank you for giving us this forum.
Yes, thank you so much. It was wonderful speaking. Well, thanks so much. And for all the listeners, I will have some information about NCAT on the website. Um, actually in the show notes so you can look at the show notes and find out more about this organization and also follow me on Instagram at the story with Charo you can see Chavi and Olivia's faces on there and until next time I hope that you find something that makes you and your soul light and happy you can support this show by subscribing it, liking it, and sharing it with others. And you can also follow the show on Instagram at the story with Charu. That's on Instagram. It's all lowercase, all one word at the story with Charu. That's where I post pictures of our guests. And I also have um, more fresh takes about current events that we really can't get to in a podcast format. And sometimes just random things from around the globe or just everyday life. You can also find more information about me on my website, charukamaria.com. That's C-H-A-R-U-K-U-M-A-R-H-I-A.com. Again, that's also one word. And until next time, I hope that you find something that makes your soul light and happy.